Welcome everybody, it's August 22nd, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide. We are encouraged to hear that our daily readings through the Bible have encouraged many to be more consistent in taking in the full scope of Scripture. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon who said that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, so it is important that we read it. This summer I have been reading Vishal Mangawati's work on the soul of Western civilization, The Book That Made Your World. I can resonate with his marveling at the blessing that the Word of God brings to those who make room for it. He writes of his own experience coming from a Hindu culture in the nation of India to his encounter with the Bible. He writes, quote, At first glance, the Bible appeared to be a collection of unrelated books of history, poetry, rituals, philosophy, biography, and prophecy held together only by a binder's stitch and glue. But I only had to read Genesis 11 and 12 to realize that seemingly unrelated and different books of the Bible had a clear plot, a thread that tied together all the books. Sin had brought a curse upon all the nations of the earth. God called Abraham to follow him because he wanted to bless all the nations of the earth through Abraham's descendants. It didn't take long to realize that God's desire to bless human beings begins in the very first chapter of Genesis and culminates in the last chapter of the last book with a grand vision of healing for all nations. The implications was obvious. The Bible was claiming that I should read it because it was written to bless my nation and me. End quote. He is right. We are blessed to have the Word of God. Yesterday we began to read what is most likely the oldest book of the Bible, the 18th book of the Old Testament, the book of Job. God is at work in many ways in the midst of this man's puzzling circumstances in which he has seemingly lost family members, wealth, property, the support of his spouse, and even his personal health. Yet he has not lost his conviction that God is both good and great. He is worthy to be praised. But how is he to process this series of tragic events? Job's friends bring little comfort with their flawed analysis. Yesterday we read the opening chapters of Prologue, which pulled back the curtain to see that Job would be a spectacle to the angels, and God was proving before Satan that Job was not an expedient worshiper, worshiping God only because of the blessings bestowed upon him, but that his conviction to worship was based on God's intrinsic worthiness. The opening chapter is followed by the arrival of Job's so-called comforters, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and eventually Elihu. In chapter 3, we read of Job's lament, in which he bemoans his condition. In chapter 4, where we start today, we go from Job's monologue to a dialogue. Eliphaz, the oldest of the friends who arrive, answers Job's complaint with his religious philosophy. Job must have made a wrong turn before God to be suffering so. So let's read as the dialogue begins in chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Eliphaz speaks, the innocent prosper. Chapter 4 Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? 
As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of His anger they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. The strong lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was brought to me stealthily, my ear received the whisper of it. Amid thoughts from visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face, the hair of my flesh stood up, it stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes, there was silence, then I heard a voice. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his Maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. Between morning and evening they are beaten to pieces. They perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die, and that without wisdom? Chapter 5 Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills the fool, and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety, they are crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them. The hungry eat his harvest, and he takes it even out of thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. As for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty, so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grope at noonday as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword of their mouth, and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven no evil shall touch you. In famine he will redeem you from death, and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue, and shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine you shall laugh, and shall not fear the beasts of the earth. For you shall be in league with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall know also that your offspring shall be many, and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in ripe old age, like a sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, this we have searched out, it is true. Hear, and know it for your good. Job replies, My complaint is just. Chapter 6 then Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in balances, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. 
therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me, my spirit drinks their poison, the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass, or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait, and what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential streams that pass away, which are dark with ice, and where the snow hides itself. When they melt, they disappear. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course. They go up into the waste and perish. The caravans of Tema look. The travelers of Sheba hope. They are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. For you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. Have I said, Make me a gift? Or, From your wealth offer a bribe for me? Or, Deliver me from the adversary's hand? Or, Redeem me from the hand of the ruthless? Teach me, and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. How forceful are upright words! But what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. But now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn. Let no injustice be done. Turn now. My vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? Job continues, My life has no hope. Chapter 7 Has not man a hard service on earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired hand? Like a slave who longs for the shadow, and like a hired hand who looks for his wages, so I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are apportioned to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise? but the night is long, and I am full of tossing till the dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and come to their end without hope. Remember that my life is a breath, my eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him any more. Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. 
What is man, that you make so much of him, and that you set your heart on him, visit him every morning, and test him every moment? How long will you not look away from me? Nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit. If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. This is the end of our reading from today's Old Testament portion in the book of Job. Now let's take a few moments to recap and reflect upon what we have just read. Job's bemoaning his birth and resenting his existence in chapter 3 provoked Eliphaz the Temanite to speak in chapter 4. Eliphaz once looked up to Job, but now expresses some disappointment to see Job buckle in despair under the pressure of his current calamities. Eliphaz reminds Job that we reap what we sow. Perhaps there is some hidden sin and wrong in Job's life that is causing his trouble. He assumes that Job's suffering is the result of God's chastisement. Eliphaz was wrong to conclude that all suffering was punishment, Whereas Eliphaz said many things that were right about God, he had no clue as to what God was doing with his servant Job. A nighttime vision shook Eliphaz some time in the past. In it, he recognized God's greatness. One of the dangers of spiritual experiences is that it causes people to think that their knowledge of God now knows no limit. Eliphaz says many things that are true, but they are just not helpful in Job's situation. Some things that Eliphaz says rightly frame the human experience. For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. In Job chapter 5 verse 7. We live in a Genesis 3 world where troubles are inevitable. He describes the chastening process, but it is not always a happy one when you are going through it, as Eliphaz suggests. Behold how happy is the man whom God reproves, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he inflicts pain and gives relief, he wounds and his hands also heal, in Job chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Eliphaz is presumptuous when he thinks that only good things will happen to those who put their trust in God. What about you? Do you go beyond what the Word of God promises? Do you insist that all suffering is of the devil? Do you believe that only good things happen to those who walk with the Lord? You may have heard the expression, Job's comforters. This term describes friends that mean well, but offer advice that is not helpful. Job's friends gave counsel that only made Job feel worse. Job answers Eliphaz in Job chapter 6. He tells his friend that he is a false comfort. A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams, as the streams that overflow when darkened by thawing ice and swollen with melting snow, but that cease to flow in the dry season and in the heat vanish from their channels. Job chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. What kind of friend are you? Are you a reliable source of godly counsel and comfort that will truly benefit the hearer? How do we handle criticism? Job listened, but he was careful not to buy into everything his friends were saying. How painful are honest words, but what do your arguments prove? Do you mean to correct what I say and treat the words of a despairing man as wind? Job chapter 6, verses 25 and 26. God will vindicate Job's words here. He continues to defend his integrity. Relent, do not be unjust. Reconsider, for my integrity is at stake. Is there any wickedness on my lips? 
Can my mouth not discern malice? Job chapter 6, verses 29 and 30. Job's depression leads to a death wish. He makes a complaint to God and then says something that anticipates the gospel. Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? Job chapter 7, verse 21. The truth is that God will send His Son to do just that. Now let's move on to the New Testament book, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 18 through 40. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any man speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church was giving a disproportionate amount of attention to the gift of speaking in languages unknown to the speaker. Paul speaks of the primacy of speaking forth the word of God in ways that could be understood by all in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1-5 to and verse 19. Believers should know the word, speak the word, and live the word. To prophesy is to speak forth the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. The prophets were those who gave us the Holy Scriptures in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. 
They were appointed to communicate the mind of God as oracles prior to the completion of the Bible. When we speak of prophecy today, we are making a distinction between the way God communicated through those appointed to give the written word of God and how people are to minister the word of God to each other today. Prophecy is the communication of God's truth for the purpose of stirring up, building up, and cheering up. That is, exhortation, edification, and encouragement in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. We need to use our gifts in the way that is most profitable for the building up of the body of Christ. If a person at this time in Corinth had the gift of speaking in a language that had no meaning to them personally, they may have been feeling chuffed that they have spiritual enablement in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. Still, Paul says it is as useless as speaking into the air unless there is one to interpret. As we mentioned yesterday, Paul makes it clear that the tongue here is not referring to gibberish, but language that has syntax and meaning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 10, First of all, we know from the context that it was an interpretable language, not a repetition of sounds. Secondly, Paul says that there was to be a limit on the exercise of this gift to two or at most three, and that an interpretation was imperative. If there was no interpretation, they must keep silent and instead speak subvocally to himself or to God, and no one speaks to himself or to God in gibberish. Paul advocates that we minister with both our spirits and our minds in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15, and that we seek to build up the body of Christ with revelation, knowledge, teaching, and prophetic exhortation, edification, and consolation in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3 and verse 6. Paul teaches that tongues were given as a sign to the unbelieving Jews. He proves this by quoting the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 through 12, the Lord says regarding Israel, Indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. He who said to them, Here is rest, give rest to the weary, and here is repose, but they would not listen. Paul's reference to Isaiah chapter 28 verse 11 illustrates that tongues were given as a sign indicating God's gracious overture to the Jewish people who did not have ears to hear. Notice the context of Paul's reference to the Old Testament prophecy. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Commentators have noticed that Jews were present on each occasion when tongues were spoken in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, with 120 in the upper room. In Acts chapter 10, with the household of Cornelius and Peter's delegation. And Acts chapter 19, with the Ephesians, who up until that time had only heard of Jesus' ministry up to the baptism of John, and not the gospel of salvation, the good news of what Jesus accomplished through his substitutionary death, burial, resurrection, and ascension that made the gift of the Holy Spirit possible. Paul is saying that speaking in tongues was a sign to unbelievers, a warning to those rejecting the Messiah, and that prophecy is for believers. Warren Wearsby's writing is helpful. Quote, Paul made here another point for the superiority of prophecy over tongues. A message in tongues, unless interpreted, could never bring conviction to the heart of a lost sinner. In fact, the unsaved person might leave this service before the interpretation was given, thinking that the whole assembly was crazy. 
tongues were not used for evangelism, neither at Pentecost nor in the meetings of the early church. However, tongues did have a message for the lost Jews in particular. They were a sign of God's judgment. Paul quoted Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 to 12, a reference to the invading Assyrian army whose barbaric language the Jews would not understand. The presence of this tongue was evidence of God's judgment on the nation. God would rather speak to His people in clear language they could understand, but their repeated sins made this impossible. He had spoken to them through His messengers in their own tongue, and the nation would not repent. Now He had to speak in a foreign language, and this meant judgment. As a nation, the Jews were always seeking a sign, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. At Pentecost, the fact that the apostles spoke in tongues was a sign to the unbelieving Jews who were there celebrating the feast. The miracle of tongues aroused their interest, but it did not convict their hearts. It took Peter's preaching in Aramaic, which the people all understood, to bring them to the place of conviction and conversion. End quote. With the manifestation of greater love and edification in view, the Apostle Paul laid down these ground rules for the gift of tongues in the church at Corinth. Number one, not more than two or three at most shall speak, in verse 27. Number two, they must speak in order, one at a time, each in turn, in verse 27. Number three, each must be interpreted credibly, corresponding to the syntax of the language, in verse 27. Number four, if there is no interpreter, they must keep silent or reserve it for private communication to themselves or to the Lord. Number five, as with prophecy, all gifts were subject to the judgment of spiritual leadership in verse 32. Paul gives guidance for those who speak forth with prophecy. It is apparent in Paul's letter to the Corinthians and his first letter to Timothy that there were some misunderstandings and disturbances caused by women who were causing division and disruption in the worship services. Women in this culture had not had access to formal religious training, nor were they familiar with the creation order and God's plan to mirror His nature as a community of oneness with the complementary yet distinct roles of men and women in marriage and the church. Paul writes in his pastoral letter to Timothy, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet for it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11-13 through 13. He writes to the Corinthians, The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34-35 to 35. From the entire context, we realize this is not an entire gag order on females in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, we have already learned that women can pray and prophesy in public worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we learn that both men and women have spiritual gifts. The context in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 suggests that the behavior of the women at the church in Corinth at this time was inconsiderate of the needs of the congregation as a whole. The women may have been casting shame on their husbands. Their husbands could answer their questions at home without disrupting the worship services. It could have been that the women's newfound freedom through the gospel of Jesus Christ was being flaunted and causing disruption. Perhaps the women were usurping the authority of their husbands or the elders of the church, which would have been a violation of the teaching of the word of God. 
Paul's instruction was intended to promote unity and harmony in the church. He concludes that it is a blessing when the church manifests God's love and functions as a coordinated body under the headship of Christ and not in confusion. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. In verse 26, But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. In verse 40, And now we move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, the book of Psalms, chapter 37, verses 30 through 40. Psalm 37, verse 30. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Let's take a moment just to highlight some of the main verses. We can hope in ultimate vindication at the throne of grace. Wait for the Lord and keep His way, and He will exalt you to inherit the earth. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. In verses 39 and 40, But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Have you found your security in Christ? He is your rock and your refuge. And for the proverb a day that keeps foolishness away, we go to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? Throughout the Bible, the wicked are contrasted with the righteous. Those who are righteous are those who have been made right with God through faith in His self-revelatory word, those who fear God and trust His promises. There are those who make religious offerings without putting their trust in the saving work of Christ. These sacrifices are dead works and a false hope. They are hypocritical and an abomination, even when offered in ignorance. How much more if offered with evil intent? With that thought in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, with whom Moses spoke face to face as a friend, thank you for sending us your Son, who did not offer false comfort, but was a true friend of sinners. He did not merely offer advice, but he offered himself to you on our behalf and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We ask that you would help us to be true friends to others and that we would use our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ and serve as faithful agents of your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you, friends. It was good to have you with us today, and God willing, we'll be with you on our Bible tour tomorrow. My name is David McAdam, and if you have any questions or comments, or you would like to 
reach out to us, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like a written copy of our daily commentary, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. God bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.